Good morning. I want to welcome everybody that's gathered here in the sanctuary, along with those listening on radio or watching us on Facebook Live. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning at First Church. Now to start our service, those who are able, would you please rise and join me in our call to worship. call to worship this morning is taken from Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over him. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Please remain standing for our opening praise songs. We'll be singing all of Sea of Victory and parts of Victory in Jesus and also I Speak Jesus. Oh, 
1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the love of the Father that he has lavished it on us, that we should be called children of God. In verse 8 in 1 John, it also says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And in verse 23, he says, And this is his command that you believe in his name. You believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ. And to love one another as he has commanded. This sums up the whole law of God. Should we not be speaking the name of Jesus to our neighbors? Should we not be speaking his name over our families and over our situations? Let's shout Jesus from the mountaintops. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family. I speak the holy name. Jesus. Shout Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family. I speak the holy name.
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just speak the name of Jesus, the glorious name of Jesus. We're so blessed, Father, that we can gather ourselves and we ask for things that we are concerned with. We come to you in prayer for things that we have great joy over, Father. But, Father, we can come right before you. We can enter your presence at any time we want, Father. And we're so grateful for that blessing. We're grateful for the blessing that we can gather together and worship and praise you, Father. Such a blessing. And, Father, as we gather, I pray that we speak the name Jesus boldly and strongly, Father. Father, we have some concerns, Father. There are people in our congregation and our community and surrounding congregation and communities, Father, that are struggling. They have health problems. They have other problems in their lives, Father. So, Father, we just lift all those people up to you, Father. And I pray that you bless them and comfort them and give them peace, Father. And, Father God, we're grateful for the families that are here with us this morning, the young families, the young children. We're so grateful for them, Father. And we pray that you give the mothers and fathers wisdom in how they raise their children, Father, to raise them to worship and to praise you and to love you, Father. Father God, you have called us to pray to you, to come to you in prayer, Father. We're able to do that because of the gift that your son gave us on the cross of being able to come right in front of you and talk to you. And Father, we do that every Sunday morning here, Father, but it's so important that we just don't stop there. We continue every day, multiple times a day that we can just come to you, Father, and Praise your name and just be thankful for your son, Jesus. Father, we pray for the leaders of our churches, not only this church here, but all the churches in the surrounding area, Father. We pray that you grant those leaders wisdom, Father, and that they just seek, continuously seek your truth as they lead your, your flock, Father. Father, you call us to be one. You call us to come together and be one. And, Father, so many times that we get stuck in our individual churches and and denominations, and sometimes we think we know what a Christian should look like. We know how their services should be conducted, Father. And pray pray for us. We pray that you would forgive us, Father, for that ignorance. We continue to put hurdles up that separate us when you want us to just be drawn together in your name. So, Father God, I pray for the spirit of wisdom. I pray for the spirit of unity to come down and take down those barriers, Father. And that we can come together and worship and praise you as one. So, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come here. We thank you for the coming here in your son's name the mighty name of jesus we thank you for 
the prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Now will the children come forward for the children's chat with Maria? Good morning. Oh, my goodness. Are you guys awake today? Are you? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. All right. So, I need you to put your remembering brain on, okay? I need you to think all the way back to vacation Bible school. Okay? What did we talk about? The who? The oh, you like the songs? Mm-hmm. What were the songs about? What did we learn about? Yeah. Huh? What did we learn about? The helmet of salvation. Yep. And then what do we put on here? The breastplate of righteousness. What do we put on our feet? Shoes of peace. Good. What do we hold in front of us? What is it? The sword of the Spirit. Yeah, we hold the sword of the Spirit. Yeah. But we also have the shield of faith, right? Today, Pastor Tori is going to talk about the sword of the Spirit. Okay? What is a spirit? You remember? Can we see a spirit? No, we can't see a spirit. Just like we can't see the air. Can we see the air? No? How do we know it's there? Can we see the, the wind blow the air through the trees and then we see the leaves and the branches on the trees move? Yeah? Yeah. So we can't see it and we can't feel it. Do you know anybody else that we can't see but we know he's there? Who? Yeah. The Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay? And that is part of our armor of God, the sword of the Spirit. Okay? The Word of God. And where do we go to find the Word of God? The Bible. Right. So if we're going to use our sword, it's like holding up the Bible. Okay, because in the Bible, what's in the Bible? Just a bunch of random stuff? Jesus is in the Bible, yeah, yeah. Does it, your name, lots of your names appear in the Bible different places, yeah. So, but, the Bible tells us how to live, right? Does it give us the Ten Commandments? Yes, it does. It gives us rules to follow. It tells us how to treat each other. It tells us 
that we need to love God and love our neighbors. And so when we have the sword of the Spirit, that sword is like the Bible. And when we have the Bible in us, when we know what's going on in the Bible, that is like the truth. And that Bible helps us cut through all the lies and all the things that the people of the world say is right. But there's that little voice in your head that's saying, I'm not sure that's how Jesus said it. We should do that. That's the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit saying, you have a choice. You can either choose to do what the world wants you to do, or you can choose to do what God wants you to do. So the more we know about the Bible and have the Holy Spirit living in us, the more we can use that sword to fight the world and slay the world. And Okay? Because we want to be a leader. We want to show other people the right way to live. And by the things that we do, they can see that the Holy Spirit is, excuse me, is with us. Okay? So, what is our piece of armor today? Sword of the Spirit. Can you all hold it? Hold your spirit. Hold your sword. All right. So, the next time somebody tells you something and you're just not real sure, (coughs) excuse me, we're going to think about our sword of the Spirit. Does the Bible tell me this is true? Okay? Because that is the Spirit in us. So the more we know about the Bible and Jesus, the more we can know how Jesus wants us to live. All right. Can we bow our heads? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these children and their eager minds to learn. Thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross for each one of us. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Have a great week, guys. Thank you, Maria, and thank you, kids. Uh, This morning, our offering is going towards the radio ministry. And during our time of offering, the praise team is going to lead us in what might be a new song. It's actually kind of an older song, um, but it might be new to some of you. So the words are printed in your bulletin. And I just encourage you, if you know the song, like my youth pastor always said, sing. If you don't know the song, sing louder, because it's all beautiful to Jesus. So, um, but if you want to also take this time just to reflect on the words of this song, they're written in your bulletin.
Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. That would be on page 1029 in your pew Bible. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for the chance to gather together and to worship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I pray for the message this morning. Lord, the, we need your spirit. We need your spirit to guide us and to direct us and to communicate the things from your word to us. And so I pray this morning as we open your word that you would reveal to us who you are. Lord, reveal to us how we can use the sword of the spirit as we face different battles in our life. And Lord, I pray that in all things this morning, that you would teach us and that we would glorify you and we would use those things that we learn to bring glory to your name. We love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. So it's been about a year and a half since we started this series on the armor of God. And it's taken us a while to get through each piece, but that's not a bad thing, right? Uh, but today, we are on the final piece of the armor. So it, we are talking about the sword of the spirit this morning that, you know, I understood pretty quickly that, you know, you were like, okay, that makes sense. This one makes sense. The shoes of peace, the helmet of salvation, those all made sense, right? But the sword of the spirit was one of those ones that I kept getting hung up on. And, you know, back in Paul's day, the Roman soldiers were equipped with amazing pieces of armor, for protection on the battlefield. They had a shield to protect themselves against those long-range attacks from the enemy, but they also needed to be equipped for hand-to-hand combat. And so they were equipped with swords, multiple swords. And one of the swords that a Roman soldier would carry into battle was called a gladius. And it was unique because it was small, but it was really mighty. And it was a double-edged, two-foot-long sword, and it was very sharp, had a very sharp pointy end. And it, would, it was designed for quick kills on the battlefield. And it was able to pierce through little 
little pockets of the armor that were exposed. And so it was lethal against the enemy. But due to its size, this sword was only used by a soldier when the enemy was standing face to face because it wasn't very long and it wasn't very big, right? And in order to use this sword properly, a soldier had to go through months of training. And even after training, they could only use this weapon when they were told to or they were given orders by their commanding officer. You know, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And when I first started studying this piece and prepping for the sermon this morning, I thought that meant that we were just supposed to grab the Bible and head into battle. And that's definitely part of it, but as believers, we need to know the Word of God. We need to understand how to apply Scripture to our lives and how to correctly use the truth against the, God's truth against the lies of the enemy. But Scripture isn't what makes this piece powerful. It's called the, called the sword of the Spirit because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes this sword powerful and lethal against Satan and his attacks. See, you and I are completely powerless and unequipped to enter into spiritual warfare or engage in spiritual warfare without the help of the Holy Spirit. We cannot understand God's word or apply his word to our hearts and our minds without the help and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We can't use scripture as a sword to fight against the enemy without the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit really is the driving force behind the sword. And so the more that I studied this piece of the armor, the more I understood what Paul said, what he meant in 2 Corinthians 10 when he said, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. The sword of the Spirit is a divine and lethal weapon against the enemy. And it's the only offensive weapon that we're given to use in the spiritual battle because it's the only one that's powerful enough to fight against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of darkness, and the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. See, the Holy Spirit-empowered weapon not only empowers us to fight in hand-to-hand combat against the lies and the temptations of Satan in the physical realm, but the Holy Spirit also fights for us in the spiritual realm as well. Remember, everything that occurs in the visible physical world, the battles we fight here are directly connected to the battle being raged and waged in the invisible spiritual realm. And God has provided us with the Holy Spirit that and with the Holy Spirit empowered sword and it's designed to defeat Satan and his attacks. You know, there will be times in your life when the enemy stops sending the long-range fiery darts, right? We've talked about those before. And he'll change his tactics, and he's going to get right up in your face. He's going to feel like it's so, he's so close. He will be tempting you. He will be taunting you, doing everything in his power to kill, steal, defeat, and destroy you because that is who he is, and that is what he does. But God has provided us with the sword, And in those moments, we need the sword that is specifically designed for that hand-to-hand, face-to-face combat. But in order to use this powerful weapon, we've got some training to do. We need to be trained by the Spirit with the Word of God. We need to be led by the Spirit and then empowered by the Spirit to use the sword at the right time in the right way to defeat the enemy. You know, proper training is vital to the overall success of any military. That was true back in Paul's day, and that's true today, too. And Roman soldiers went through months of training before ever stepping foot 
onto the battlefield. And part of that, in tra- that training included four months of sword training. And so at the beginning of those four months, they would be given wooden swords and by their commanding officers. And their training officer would teach them how to properly wield and use the wooden sword before they were ever given the real sword. And their training didn't stop after four months. Even the most seasoned veterans would go back every single year and train with the swords because they knew they needed to be up to date on that training. You know, as believers in Christ, you and I are part of God's army. And so we need training. We need to know how to use our sword properly to take down the enemy. Satan is a liar. He's a manipulator. He loves to take the truth of Scripture and the truth of God's Word and twist it and manipulate it. And he knows Scripture often better than we do. And he knows how to use it in illegitimate ways to accomplish his plans and his purposes. And he's done a really good job of getting us to forget our training or neglect training in the first place. And you can see evidence of that in the world around us. You know, about five years ago, when Jake was in the academy, we were running a lot. And I do not, music just doesn't get me in the mood to run. And so I tend to listen to podcasts. And there was one that I still remember even five years later. And they were talking about the things, this is a youth ministry podcast, and they were talking about all the things that uh, have contributed to us being a post-Christian society here in America. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, But one that stuck with me and that's continued to just come up in my mind over and over again is that believers have failed to model what it looks like to really study scripture. You know, a few generations ago, you would find Bibles in the majority of homes, family Bibles even, and families would sit down and they would make studying scripture a priority, right? They would talk about it. They would study it together. And over time, we've become less we've done less of that in our homes and become more reliant on the church. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. The church is a great place to hear the word of God. But our Bibles started being put on dusty old bookshelves instead of on our bedside tables, ready to be opened and studied each day. And it's no wonder that we have generations of people, of teens, of adults even, that have grown up without that relationship with Christ and without knowing biblical truth. We've neglected our training. We've not modeled for the generations to come what it looks like to allow the Holy Spirit to transform you as you study scripture, as you apply it to your life and live it out. So my question to you is, where is your Bible? Is it on that dusty bookshelf? Or is it with you this morning or on your bedside table? Are you actively studying the word of God? Or are you passively hoping that the words you hear on a Sunday morning are going to get you through to next Sunday? We've got to grab our Bibles and start studying them. We have to stop relying on the Sunday morning worship to carry us through the week. In order to use this sword effectively against the enemy and in our everyday life, we have to be studying the word. And we've been given the best training officer that we could ever ask for, and that's the Holy Spirit. And we've been given the only training manual that we truly need, and that's the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God is our training manual. Scripture teaches us about the Father, about the Son, about the Holy Spirit, and what it looks like to have a living and active relationship with the Christ followers. It shows us where we've gone wrong and what true repentance looks like. 
It offers comfort and wisdom in those times where life just doesn't make sense. But we can't be taught or trained or, or, or rebuked or equipped for every good work without the Holy Spirit at work within us. You know, we often quote Hebrews 4 when we're talking about the power of God's word, that we declare that God's word is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it has the power to slice through bones and joints and marrows, but none of that would be possible without the power of the Holy Spirit at work behind the word of God and at work in our lives. You know, before his death, Jesus told the disciples that the Holy Spirit would be coming. And he told them what the Spirit's role would look like in their life. And he said to the disciples in John 16, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit is our training officer when it comes to studying the Word of God. He takes those true things of God and it communicates them in a way that helps us understand, right, and grow deeper in that relationship with him. And his desire is to equip us to fight battles in this war, to, to stand firm in our faith. And so he uses words of encouragement found in Scripture to encourage our hearts at the right moment. He uses examples of sin in Scripture to convict our hearts and move us towards repentance. And he shows us how to live a life of faith by highlighting the examples of God's faithful people all throughout Scripture. So the Holy Spirit is our training officer. And he trains us with the word so that we can use the sword properly when the time comes. You know, think back to that training that I talked about with the Roman soldiers a few minutes ago. A Roman soldier was trained by their training officer for months before they went into battle. And during that time, not only did they learn how to use the sword, but they also grew in their trust and in their obedience to their superior officers. And in the battle, soldiers had to fully rely on those, those higher-ranking officers to lead them well in the battle and to, sh- and to give them orders on how and when to attack with the sword. And the more that we're trained by the Spirit with the Word of God— we begin to develop our trust in the Spirit's leading. We begin to know his voice and know when he's calling us to do different things. You know, sometimes in life the Holy Spirit leads us through gentle, somewhat easy seasons of life, but there's also going to be times in your life where the Spirit leads you in a direction that you don't want to go or in a direction that makes absolutely no sense to you. And there might even be times when the Spirit intentionally leads leads you into a season uh, where your faith is tested by trials or temptations. And if you've let, been led into a tough season, you're not alone. God's been doing that from the very beginning. And we can see God leading his people into seasons of testing and trials all throughout Scripture. You know the Israelites are my favorite. I love the Israelites. And in Exodus, God brought the Israelites out from under the control of Pharaoh. And God brought them out of Egypt, and they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And part of that The reason that they wandered in the desert for so long is that God had to help them get rid of some things that they had um, started doing in in Egypt, right? He he needed to make sure that they would be completely dependent on him and that they would trust him to be their God, right? And so during that time period, they were tempted, they were tested, and they often failed because they they didn't always trust God and weren't always obedient to him. 
Jesus also went through a period of testing before he began his public ministry. After he was baptized in the Jordan River in Luke 3, Scripture tells us that he returned from the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was immediately led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The Holy Spirit purposely led Jesus into the wilderness for testing and for tempting. And for 40 days, Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit for his every need. The Holy Spirit sustained him when he willingly went without food for 40 days. The Spirit also was his companion in the desert because he was completely alone. And to top it all off, he was tempted over and over by the devil during that 40-day period. Now, Jesus could have easily used his divine power to feed himself, to remove himself from the loneliness of that wilderness, and to defeat the enemy on day one, but he refused. See, where Israel failed in their wilderness season, Jesus was victorious. He chose to be obedient to the Spirit and not run the other direction when he was sent into the wilderness. He chose to trust the Holy Spirit and relied on the Spirit to meet every single one of his needs during those 40 days. He did what the Israelites could not do, and he set the example for us to follow during times of trials and testing. And Jesus was kind of like a soldier in training in the wilderness. Instead of relying on his own power and divinity, he followed every order and every direction that the Holy Spirit gave him. You know, one thing I always remind our students of when they're facing trials or temptations, that is, if God has brought you to it, he will get you through it. If God is allowing you to face some sort of temptation, he will give you everything you need to resist and to flee from that temptation. If he's brought you into a hard season of life, he has allowed you to experience pain or hardship, he's going to get you through it. He will. He will lead you through it. Just keep trusting him. Don't give into the temptation to run from that wilderness season because in that season, there's work to be done. In that season, God can show up and show you who he is and his power and his love for you. The Holy Spirit will lead us through the wilderness every step of the way. And every step of the way, no matter how hard it feels, you will be equipped to face whatever comes your way. You know, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, not for some fun, relaxing, like, spa retreat before he started his public ministry. He, he went into the wilderness as an advance in war, to come face to face with the enemy and to begin to take back territory with the sword. In his face-off with the devil, he was tempted in three different ways. Satan tempted him by using the same tactics he used on Adam and Eve in the garden. And he tempted Jesus to give in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the only difference between the garden temptation and the wilderness is that Jesus overcame every single one, and he won the battle. The first temptation that Satan came against Jesus with was the lust of the flesh. In the garden, Satan tempted Eve to eat from the tree by drawing her attention to this delicious piece of fruit that was hanging on the tree. And he told her that this food would taste good and it would satisfy her hunger. And he tried to do the same to Jesus by tempting him to prove that he is the Son of God by using his divine power to satisfy his physical hunger. It says that in Luke 4, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus didn't fall for that temptation. Instead, the Holy Spirit empowered him to draw the sword, and he spoke scripture directly to Satan and said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. 
And he quoted Deuteronomy 8.3 and told the devil that the words that come from the mouth of God are more satisfying than bread will ever be. So Satan couldn't get him with the first attempt, so he tried again. And he tempted Jesus to with everything that he could see. So Satan tempted Eve to eat from the tree by showing her that this fruit was especially pleasing to the eye. And he tried to get Jesus with this temptation as well. Then the, it says in Luke 3, Then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor. It has been given you worship me. It will all be yours. Now, this particular temptation appealed to the lust of the eyes, right? And this one for Jesus was an invitation to win back all the kingdoms of the world without having to go to the cross. Satan said, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Everything is yours, but you have to worship me first. And so Jesus drew the sword and said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he declared to the enemy that he would not bow down to Satan, and that he was only here to do the will of the Father and to serve him. And Satan's final temptation for Jesus was centered centered around pride. And so he tempted Eve in the garden with the pride of life by telling her that eating this fruit would make her like God. She would know the difference between good and evil, and she would gain wisdom. And so she gave in to that pride, right? Because she thought that having wisdom and knowing the difference between good and evil and being like God would make her important. And Satan tempted Jesus with the pride of life as well. And he even used scripture to back up this temptation, but he misquoted it. It says in Luke three, uh, or Luke 4, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in your, their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan wanted Jesus to prove that he was the Son of God in a prideful way. He said, if you throw yourself down from this place, God will surely send angels to protect you because you are his son. And it will be an awesome display of self-promotion, right? Everyone will truly know that you are the Son of God because God will come and rescue you. But instead of giving that into that temptation, the Spirit empowered him to draw one final sword from Deuteronomy 6:16. And it said, he said to Satan, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, Jesus knew that he was the son of God. God told him that he was the son of God at his baptism, not long before his wilderness journey. So Jesus knew that he already had God's approval and that he didn't need to test or earn or do anything to get that approval in a prideful way. And so Satan, when he was all up in, his, in Jesus's face trying to get him to get into this temptation, his attacks were personal. They were targeted. They were designed to get him to prove his identity as the son of God in the wrong way and outside of the timing of God. And so Jesus was tempted in every way possible, but he never once sinned. And if Satan tempted Jesus in those areas, don't you think he's going to try that on us too? He really doesn't have very many tricks, so he has to keep retrying the same tricks over and over and over again. But Satan knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. And he will use both to gain a foothold and tempt you and try to get you to give in to sin. Satan will tempt you to give in to the desires of your flesh. I don't know if you know this, but you and I were kind of needy people. God created us to need things, right? We need food. 
We need water. We need shelter. We, need, we have emotional needs. And sometimes the enemy will tempt us to try to fill emotional needs with physical things. So I don't know if any of you are emotional eaters, but I am definitely an emotional eater. Um, and if you're an emotional eater, you know that when you've had a stressful day, sometimes you go and you seek comfort in things like fried food and sweets. And so, and if you're an emotional eater like me, it can easily tip over into the sin of gluttony, right? And so Satan wants to get into your face with that tempting food and that gluttony and make, you, make it really appealing to run to the cupboard to eat your feelings. But when it comes to emotional eating, it, usually you're looking for comfort. And you're looking for comfort in things like fried food and sweets, but the, the comfort you're really seeking is the, is the comfort that only God can provide. So when that temptation comes, at least for me, uh, I have to fight back, and I have to pull a sword, and I have to speak out loud that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I have to remind myself that God expects me to care for my body and, because he's given us our bodies to serve and to glorify him each day, right? The enemy also knows when you're feeling dissatisfied in your marriage. And he'll appeal to the lust of the eyes. He'll use that discontentment to tempt you to let your eyes wander to people and to places that you know they shouldn't. He'll tempt you to lust after that coworker or that friend. If you're married, his goal is to end your marriage because he does not like marriage because it, re- it represents Jesus' love for the church. If you're single, his goal will be to pollute your mind with things like pornography because he wants to twist your affections and your desires for your future spouse. And he will make sure that those temptations are in your face and will be actively trying to get you to give in. But by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you, you can fight back and you can draw a sword like Jesus did by speaking out loud the words of 1 Corinthians 6:18 to flee from sexual immorality. Or as Romans 12:10 says, be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourself. You can fight the temptation to lust whether you're married or not. You can fight back against the enemy using the sword of the Spirit and relying on the Holy Spirit to help you to flee from that temptation. And the other thing that Satan tries to get us with is pride. I think that's one that we've all been tempted with at one point or another, right? Because he wants us to seek recognition and approval in prideful ways and in, instead of looking to God for that approval. And in, that, in those moments when you want to seek approval from the world around you and the people of your life in prideful ways, draw the sword. Speak Proverbs 11:2 out loud. When pride comes, then disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Remind yourself that God's approval and his love for you cannot be earned. It's been given to you as his child, and he loves you. And you can rest in that approval and in that love. You know, you and I will constantly be tempted in the same three areas that Jesus was. We will be tempted to satisfy our wants, our needs, our desires, and our pride with sinful things. But 1 Corinthians 10.13 reminds us that we can be victorious over temptation. It It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You know, when we, face, when we face trials or temptations, I think our natural inclination is just to give in and because we don't realize that when we're tempted that God has already given us a way out. 
When that temptation comes, there is a path out and you can take it. But I believe the reason that we don't believe we can resist is because we don't realize the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. The same spirit that empowered Jesus to draw the sword every single time empowers us to do the same thing. He's already provided everything you need to resist. Use it. Pick up the sword. Fight back. You know, Luke's, uh, Luke's wilderness story closes with these words. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he'd left him until an opportune time. Jesus continually fought Satan all throughout his earthly ministry here. Satan continued to look for opportunities to get into Jesus's face, and he'll do the same to us. You and I will constantly have to use the sword of the Spirit as we live in this world. The enemy will tempt you, and he might not leave you alone right away when you use the sword against him. You might have to continually draw the sword and keep speaking the promises of Scripture over and over and over again. Don't give up. Keep pushing. Keep drawing the sword. Keep speaking that truth to the enemy. And eventually he will leave you alone. It might take a little bit of doing. might take some, some, you know, drawing over and over again. But you can resist with the sword. You can use the sword to, to flee from whatever that temptation is or to get you through whatever trial you are facing. And that's why we need to be continually trained by the Spirit with the Word of God. We need to keep trusting him in the wilderness seasons. And finally, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit fights for us that we serve a victorious God, and that Jesus has overcome everything. He has taught us that we can fight against temptation, that we can fight against that temptation and not sin, right? That we can be victorious in whatever battle we're facing because we serve the victorious King of Kings. So don't forget that the same spirit that empowered Jesus to fight back against the enemy is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that same spirit lives in you as a born-again believer. So you have the power. And he will empower you with the right thrust of the sword at the right time to defeat the enemy when he gets in your face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the example of Jesus. Lord, that he, he faced the enemy in face-to-face, hand-to-hand combat, Lord, and he won. And he showed us what it looks like to be victorious over temptation, over trials, Lord, and to speak the promises and the truth of Scripture in the midst of the battle. Father God, I pray that you would help us to uh, remember that we need to continually be in your word. We need to be trained by your spirit. We need to be led by you so that when the enemy comes against us, when we need to draw the sword, you will empower us to do that. Father God, I pray that you would help us to Remember this as we go from this place this morning. Amen. I invite you all to stand. We're going to sing the um, desert song that we heard during our offering this morning. Um, And I invite you to make this your prayer as we close out our time together.
I love the words in this song that we are conquerors and co-heirs with Christ. So stand firm on his promise and take with you as you go from this place the full armor of God and the sword of the Spirit. Go in peace.